Good counsel doesn't always allow for easiness. Good counsel doesn't always allow for comfort. And good counsel doesn't always allow for happiness. You think these guys are happy about having to pack up and run again and cross a river with all these people and all their stuff? No. He didn't say, let me pray about it, let me think about it. He knew this was God's hand of protection, and the reason he was told to leave was just in case Absalom had changed his mind, just in case the enemy was going to come and strike. Good counsel look like? In today's message from Pastor Mark, he teaches you that good counsel can look very different in any given circumstance. Good counsel is not always going to be something that looks particularly good. Sometimes good counsel, like in David's case, is to flee. David, in 2 Samuel, had to pack up all of his belongings and leave. Leaving was not easy for David, and there might be a time where you have to flee. Good counsel is not always easy. Good counsel can be hard, uncomfortable, and not necessarily joyful. However, that doesn't mean it's not the best advice for your situation. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in 2 Samuel chapter 17 with today's edition of Come Alive. So if David had this pride-filled attitude, it would have been a, a pitfall, not just for him, but for all the people around him. And so you might say, well, what do we learn from this? Well, here's what we learn from this. Maybe somebody's got a message for you, and they've given it to you. And you just look at them like they're out of their mind because, well, number one, it doesn't agree with the way you would handle or do business. Number two, it's not the advice you were looking for. You just wanted somebody to agree with you. And that happens a lot. And so this advice isn't taken. And so what happens is, not only does, if David didn't take this advice, would it kill David, but it would kill all the people that are with him. Now, how does it apply to you and I? Well, I'll tell you how it applies to you and I. This past week, Saturday... I was having a rough couple of weeks. I was supposed to fly out on Sunday to go to California for a week for a pastor's conference. And because I'd had a rough two weeks, I just figured that this third week while I'm gone would be just as rough and I would need to stay and take care of business and take care of the landscape business. That things would happen that I needed to be here for and I didn't want my wife to suffer through it by herself or even be bothered with it. And so I'd made a decision on Saturday about 10 or 11 o'clock, that I wasn't going to go to California. I would just cancel my ticket, get a credit, and use it for next time. Well, I go home and I tell Jess I'm not going to go. And so she sits me down and she has a talk. She gives me an urgent message, so to speak. Says, hey, you know, every year this happens. It's just Satan's way of trying to distract you. And plus, you know, when you come back from those things, you're ready to go. You're refreshed. You're good. You get to hang out with your friends. Everything's fine. I think you should go. And I remember thinking, well, and I even told her, I even spiritualized it. I have a peace from God that I, I shouldn't go. And she was like, really? It's a, it's a real peace. And most of it was just laziness. One, I was tired. I didn't want to pack. Two, I didn't want to have to worry about anything while I'm gone. But she said, you should go. So she says, call your friends. And so the guys that I was going to rent a car with, 
the other pastors, when I called them and said, hey, I don't think I'm going to make it, they said to me, why? And began to ask questions and began to give some advice to me that I really needed to hear. A message that needed to really touch my heart. They were like, number one, well, what could you do there that you couldn't do in California? And so I was, well, not really anything. They're like, if you have a cell phone and your credit card, you can buy what you need. And if, and then I was like, well, if a piece of equipment breaks down, they're like, who would take that piece of equipment? You or your guys? I'm like, my guys. Couldn't you call them and tell them to do that? I'm like, yeah. So can you give us a good reason why you need to stay and why you shouldn't go? And I couldn't. And so I took their advice. I quickly took their advice because it was crucial for me to go. Because there was a message there that really spoke to me that I had to hear. Now, I didn't like that message. It wasn't the the greatest thing that I wanted to hear, but it was very convicting and it told me what I needed to do. And so I had to take that advice and it was another servant giving a message. So one servant gives a message to another servant. The Lord gives the message to my wife. My wife says, hey, call these other guys. These other servants say, you should go. And then another servant, while we're there, from another message from the Lord, speaks and spoke to a lot of people, not just me, but to me as well. So if I didn't go, there could have been some problems in my house. I wouldn't have come back refreshed. I wouldn't have come back with all these great ideas for family devos. I wouldn't have had this awesome Bible for Asa and Elia, uh, all this stuff. And and though that's not life-threatening, it could have been life-threatening for their spiritual condition if I didn't go. Who knows how that would have worked out. But if David had this pride-filled attitude and said, hey, you know, I'm just going to hang out here a couple of more days. I'm going to pray about it. There, there are some things you need to pray about, and then there are those times you just really need to act. I'm going to pray about it for a couple of days. All these people probably would have been wiped out. So when we refuse the counsel of the one who loves us most, that would be Jesus, we always risk the lives of those that are around us. We always risk it. We know from stories like Achan. We know from stories where the, the children of Israel build a golden calf based off of religious advice from religious people. And what happens? Well, people died. And so God puts people in your path to help and direct you by sharing a message. Because here's what happens. Sometimes we filter things, and I filtered going to a conference through chaos of two weeks. And that's not good. So there's good counsel, there's bad counsel, and then there's counsel that will appeal to the flesh and counsel that sometimes will oppose the flesh. Notice that David packs up and leaves. David packs up and leaves. Good counsel doesn't always allow for easiness. Good counsel doesn't always allow for comfort. And good counsel doesn't always allow for happiness. You think these guys are happy about having to pack up and run again and cross a river with all these people and all their stuff? No. He didn't say, let me pray about it, let me think about it. He knew this was God's hand of protection, and the reason he was told to leave was just in case Absalom had changed his mind just in case the enemy was going to come and strike. Look at verse 23. Now when Ahithophel saw that his advice was not followed, he saddled a donkey and he arose and he went home to his house, to the city, and then he put his household in order and he hanged himself and he died. And he was buried in his father's tomb. So here, here's a sad case here. He knows what just happened. It's the end of Absalom. He knows that because Absalom is doing what he's doing, taking Hushai's advice, that, well, David's going to win. David's going to win the battle. He has been his advisor. He knows David. Ahithophel has been David's advisor for 30 years, and he knows how David operates. 
And he knows that when David comes back to the kingdom, that there's going to be no place for him. And especially for him being a traitor, that he's going to have to answer for his betrayal, and there's going to be an execution. So really, he's not going to give David the privilege, so he's just going to go home, take his life, because Absalom has failed to follow his advice, and that would have secured him the kingdom. And so this is a very selfish motive that Ahithophel does, but he understands that he's made the wrong choice. And any time you make the wrong choice, there's always a death. It may not be a physical death, but it could be the death of a relationship. It could be the death of a friendship. It could be the death of whatever, maybe even a job. Look at verse 24. Then David went to Mahanim, and Absalom crossed over the Jordan, and he and all the men of Israel with him. And Absalom made Amasa captain of the army. So let's stop right there. When David went to Mahanim, and Absalom crossed the Jordan with all the men of Israel, there was quite a bit of time. Sometimes a verse in Scripture that will confuse you. You'll read one thing, and then you read another, and you think, man, what's happening here? I, I didn't catch what was happening. But in order for Absalom to get all these people mobilized and travel just 16 to 18 miles down the river, it would take a lot of time. He would have to get a message, and this is pre-telephone and pre-internet. He would have to get a message from the top part of Israel to the bottom part of Israel to gather all the people together and make a travel to cross the river. So it would take some time. For David to make this the same trip about 30 miles north of Mahanim from where they crossed that river on the eastern side, it took quite a while as well. And verse 25, And Absalom made Amasa captain of the army instead of Joab. This Amasa was the son of a man whose name was Jithra, an Israelite who had gone into Abigail, daughter of Nahash, sister of Zariah, Joab's mother. So Israel and Absalom encamped in the land of Gilead. Amasa is a nephew of David, just like Joab, and that would make them cousins of Absalom. So Amasa took Joab's place because Joab is with David. Joab stays with David. Absalom needs a commander of the army. He appoints Amasa, and because Joab's on David's side, Amasa takes over the army for Absalom. And so that army needed to be built, and that would take some time as well. So again, David has plenty of time to ready himself for the war that was about to take place. Now, before I said quickly and urgently. Sometimes we have to make decisions quickly and urgently. And then there are other times when there's nothing wrong with time. You may be the one that's wanting it urgently, and the Lord says, I just want you to sit and wait. And Moses, for example, 40 years out in the wilderness, and you have to ask that question when you read that, why? Did he like the wilderness? No. Did he like hanging out with smelly sheep? Probably not. The reason he stayed out in the wilderness so long was God had taught him the ins and out of the desert, how to find water, what was good for medicinal herbs, and and just the whole layout of the desert so he could get two million people through. And so learning to herd sheep would be about the same as learning to herd people. And so to build that army would take a little time. And, And again, there's nothing wrong with time. And sometimes we do need to act quickly. But what does time allow for? Well, it allows for us to get ready, to prepare. If you'll turn with me to Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18 says, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And notice verse 19. If you are willing... And obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. 
But if you refuse and you rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So, obedience. God's asking us to contemplate and comprehend because his reasons are better. The word for reason basically means it's almost like an argument or a debate to discuss. But it's a one-sided discussion because God says, let us reason together. God's willing to say, okay, hey, I'm willing to tell you what to do. And it's okay for you to ask, but I'm willing to explain to you. But reasons are better than excuses. So the Lord says, I'm going to reason with you. I'm going to give you the reasons you need to be the servant you're called to be. And I don't want to hear any excuses, especially in matters of ministry, matters of obedience. God says, let's reason. I want to prepare you. So the Lord is trying to prepare you and I for ministry purposes. And you might say, well, I don't feel I'm called to ministry. Uh, Then that would be like saying, I don't feel I'm called to be a Christian. Because ministry means servant. And so if you're not called to be a servant, then you may not really be a true Christian. Because a true Christian will serve. And if you continue to disobey, well, we just read that you'll be damned. And so let's go back to 2 Samuel chapter 17. And we're going to pick up in verse 27. 2 Samuel chapter 17, verse 27. It says, And now it happened when David had come to Mahanim, that Shobi, the son of Nahash from Rabbah, of the people of Ammon, Machir, the son of Emil from Lodabar, and Barzillai, the Gileadite, from Rogliam, brought beds and basins and earthen vessels and wheat and barley and flour and parched grain and beans and lentils and parched seeds, honey and curds, sheep and cheese of the herd for David and the people who were with him to eat. For they said, the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. Now you might think, wow, that's just a a long list of names. Cool, they got cheese, they got food. What's the big deal? Well, here's what the big deal is. Here's the big deal. If you ask what's happening here, word has gotten out that David is down and depressed, and he's now finding refuge from his rebellion. He's found a place to hang out. And so these guys mentioned here, they stop and they say, hey, David, he needs some support, and he needs friendship. But before you and I answer this thing where we're like, okay, well, this is cool, we need to understand when we have a calling to be supportive and to be that servant, that it's going to cost you something. So what do they bring him? They bring him basically a hotel. They bring him hospitality. They bring it out to the wilderness, beds. They don't bring a little package of raisin and a juice box. They bring beds, cheese, sheep, food, things that people need for comfort. And so there's a people outside the walls and inside the walls of this church, outside the walls that need to, well, they need that comfort. There are many Davids that are out there. They're hurting now more than ever. They need people like these guys who are here and willing to take them nourishment. And so a lot of times you might say, well, I don't understand why I'm going through this situation. And God says, you know what? This is why you're going through the situation because there's somebody else out there going through that same thing that needs to hear your story and needs to receive that spiritual nourishment from you. And you, that's going through that hurtful time, that horrible time, need to point them to it. Oh yeah, but it's it's fresh. It's too early. It's not too fresh. It's never too early. If the Lord calls, we need to be obedient. So they may be out there in that wilderness. 
And what the Davids of the world are looking for are someone to bring them a drink to help refresh them. That drink is the living water. Jesus says, I'm the living water. And so you are that instrument. You may be the cup in the hand of a God that can provide something that they need. So these guys understood that there was a price to pay, a cost incurred, and everyone knew what was going on between Absalom and David, so they're not afraid to go out there and do what they're told to do. Jesus' words to the crowds after he fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish, he said that in those crowds grew, who doesn't like free food? So Jesus translated their thoughts from food for their stomachs to food for their souls. His conversation with the crowds that day led to a triumphant claim. And as Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and who who believes in me will never be thirsty. We have that message, and we can take that message. And you might again say, well, you don't know what I'm going through. Well, here's the deal. Jesus was going through something as well when he taught that, knowing that he was going to the cross to die. He still took it. And it may feel like death in your life, but still, he capitalized on the cravings of the crowd. He calls each of us to do what we're supposed to do, to understand who he was and what it meant to follow him. And that's our job as servants. We've all been created with cravings for food, air, water, companionship. We've all been created that way. Think about Adam and Eve. They were told in the garden, you may eat and enjoy. This garden paradise... It wasn't a place where humans had no needs or desires, but what it was, it was it was a place where all of their needs and all of their desires were met by God, the God who created them. And so when we think about that, it's like, oh, no, we're going to have needs and desires, but all of our needs as Christians, every single one of them, are met by the God who created them. And so the same is true of our lives. You and I have desires and And we're designed to be satisfied by our Creator. And God has hardwired us for friends, for food, for water, for meaning and purpose. And each of these were created to drive us straight to God, the giver of all good gifts and the sole source of satisfaction. Yet sin took place in the garden. It happened when the woman and the man looked to something apart from God for satisfaction Desires apart from God are very, very costly and dangerous. And so when we look outside of God and we start to look to the world or look to the flesh, it's dangerous. People get hurt. Followers of Christ are tempted to miss this. We view Jesus as the only one who can save us from our sins. And that's true. But we forget that he's the only one who can satisfy our souls. Oh, we only look at one part of Jesus. We tend not to look at the second part of him. So God brings these instruments, these guys, to bring a bit of rest and satisfaction to the king and his people. Beds, food, sheep, drink. From who? Think about from who. There's a name here, and it says Shobi. Who is Shobi? Well, it tells us he's the son of Nahash. And if we remember back to chapter 10 of 2 Samuel, that Nahash dies. David wants to send some guys out there to just comfort these people. Nahash's son, Nahun, and the people of Ammon. And it's in verse 1 through 7. Shobi's brother was Nahun. And so what happens is Nahun's advisors say, Hey, man, David and his guys are here to spy you out. And if you remember that study, they cut their, they cut their robes until their rear end was seen. And they shaved off half of their beards. And so they embarrassed David's men. They say, No way are we going to take this from you. And so then all of a sudden, we see this guy Shobi. Now, Shobi would have very good reason to say, well, 
David, after all this took place, you attacked all these people. You killed my family. I'm hurt. I have no reason to do anything. You guys don't need to worry about the water up here. And so Shobi didn't whine and say, I'm not going to do anything for that guy. He hurt me. He hurt my family. I'm hurt. But what he did is he continued to serve. And he allowed God to use him as an instrument to provide rest and comfort for the king and his people. See, Shobi didn't try to conquer his fleshly desire by changing his actions. Well, what Shobi did is he... he changed his affections. He, he decided to follow God. See, a lot of times we do the opposite. We try to change what we do instead of change our affections. And that in turn wound up blessing others. It wound up blessing David and his men because he didn't have to do this, but he wanted to do it because his affections are turned to God. And so today I want to challenge each of you to serve, but not for any other reason than that you're affectionate about Jesus and about your king. That you, that you love him, that what you're doing for your king is what you're doing for your king and not for the people around you. Because a lot of times, as I've said before, when we look forward to Mark, there's a part where Jesus is ministering and he's praying and he's healing the sick and all these people are receiving healing. And the next morning, Jesus gets up early in the morning, he leaves and he goes to pray. And that next morning, more people show up at Peter's house for healing. And what that shows me is that Jesus... He didn't care if those people were healed. And you might be like, what? But he didn't. What he says in the next verse is like, let's leave. We got to go preach the gospel. Who cares if they're healthy, if they're not saved? Healing doesn't send you to heaven. And so his biggest concern was getting the gospel message out. Oh yeah, he healed people. But if if that was his main concern, then why didn't 100% of the people receive 100% of the healing 100% of the time? Because the main thing was the gospel message. That's the true healing. And so here's God sending these guys. Yeah, here's some refreshment. But we see this one guy named Shobi. His affections have been changed. And he wound up blessing others, even though he was hurt by the man that he's blessing. And so he learned what it was about. And so what are we doing for our king? Are we going out there blessing others, serving and there are times when we will serve food, and that's going to be important. There are times when we'll do hospital visits, and that's important. But what's most important is presenting the gospel to those that don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And that's what we should be all about, first and foremost. And then from there, the serving will automatically take place. Food ministries and convalescent ministries, hospital visits and serving one another, serving in the children's ministries, all that will take place from that changing our affection. Every time we create a new edition of Come Alive, we have the privilege of sharing the Word of God with you, our valued listener. Have you been touched by the Spirit as you've listened today? If so, we'd love to hear from you. Send us a quick email at info at comealiveradio.com. We'd love to meet you, too. If you're in the Katy area, come join us for our Sunday morning service at Calvary Chapel Katy. We meet at 10 a.m. to dig into the Word with Pastor Mark, worship our loving and powerful Creator, and get to know each other better. You can find out more about us at comealiveradio.com. Before we go, Tracy wants to tell you how you can partner with us here at Come Alive. Thanks, Chris. Each edition of Come Alive that you hear has been professionally produced to minimize any distractions from the message of hope only God can bring. 
While we offer this program for free to our listeners, there are costs involved on our end. Would you pray about joining us as financial supporters of Come Alive? Any and all amounts are useful and so appreciated. Find out more at comealiveradio.com or you can text a donation to Calvary Katie at 77977. That's 77977. Thank you for prayerfully considering this. Thanks, Tracy. We're so glad you joined us today. Pastor Mark will have more to share from this study in the book of 2 Samuel. So join us again for Come Alive. From slavery.